Welcome to the Creative Finance Playbook, where we'll show you how to buy property without banks or credit using creative finance strategies. Join your hosts, Jen and Joe Delafave, as we embark on a thrilling journey to financial freedom through real estate. With our expert advice and insider tips, you'll learn how to build wealth and achieve your dreams. So tune in and get ready to take control of your financial future. Hey everyone, welcome to another Tuesday live event where it's myself, Joe, and my wife, Jen. Hello. As uh, my uh, awesome co host. And today we are going to go over some of the mistakes that we have learned in our real estate journey. Some of you do know, some of you don't know. I've been doing this for 22 years now. Um, wholesaled my first deal in the year 2000 um, after getting something from a TV infomercial talked all about how to make money in real estate without using your own money and credit. And that was great because back then I was 22 years old and I didn't have a lot of money and I definitely didn't have good credit. So at that point in my life, when I got that, that was life-changing for me. So since doing that, um, we've done everything from fix and flips to wholesaling, to doing creative finance, to being landlords, to selling houses. I mean, you name it, we've just about done it. Um, we have not done Airbnb, things like that, but just about everything else we have. Um, so we have learned a lot along the way, right? And so some of these things that we're going to share with you today, so some hopefully that you don't make, and some of these things are, you know, things that we learn from other people's mistakes too, right? Because sometimes those are the best ones to learn from. So thank you all for coming today. I hope this is going to be action-packed. Uh, next thing too, I want to dive into is a current deal that we've done and what the market looks like. Spending a lot of time listening to a lot of podcasts, a lot of speakers, a lot of people forecasting what's coming in the market. Today is November 1st, 2022. And it looks like to me, from what I'm hearing, with Fed's going to be raising rates again soon, right? They've already raised them a few times this year and to kind of drop inflation and it really hasn't gotten them anywhere close to what they're looking for. We're still over 8% inflation. I think it's in the mid eights right now and they're looking to get that lower. So how do we do that? We're going to lower, we're going to raise rates again. Right now, I think your typical rates in the low sevens for a 30 year fixed mortgage. And I think that's going to start climbing to the eights come, you know, in the next 30, 45 days. And I think once we see that, what's that going to do for the retail market? It's going to slow it down even more. What properties is that going to affect the most? And first, probably not the $80,000 home in the Midwest or parts of Pennsylvania. It's going to affect that million-dollar home, $2 million home first, right? Because that's the expensive. But it's going to trickle everywhere across. So with that being the case, we are running into a lot of situations where, and I've said this a bunch of times, we have a lot of sellers who recently bought a house and for some reason they need to sell it. So we just made a deal yesterday in Lakeland, Florida. Anybody know where Lakeland, Florida is? It's just outside of Orlando. We had a seller reach out to us, just bought this house December, 2021. So he's owned it for just 
literally 11 months. Reach out to us is moving back out of state for some medical reasons to move closer to family, back closer to doctors, and uh, just wants to walk away. From what they own the house, they bought it for 196. We're buying it for 195 with a thousand dollars down. So we're buying this with seller financing, guys. That means we are buying his house. We're having it closed with attorneys for 195. But I'm not giving him 195,000 for the house in cash. I'm not going to go to a bank right now and try to get a seven or eight percent interest rate, guys, and have to put 20 percent down. No, what we're doing is we're buying this with creative finance. So that means I'm buying it for 195. His balance is 191. I'm giving him a thousand dollars down now. I'll give him his balance a short time down the road, which is just a few more thousand dollars. But the best thing about it is when we're buying it, we're taking over his $1,300 payment. House rents for 16 to 1700. It is absolutely beautiful turnkey, ready to go. Completely renovated, gorgeous house. Nice neighborhood, big fenced in yard, new fence, new roof, new windows, new kitchen. It's even an all white kitchen. So I know that's a new modern trendy thing. So it's hip, right? The bathroom looks great. Nice house. So the, the fact was the seller wanted to sell it quickly, knew that if he was just going to sell it for what he bought it for between paying commissions, he might have to write a check and say goodbye. And to be quite honest with you, he wasn't even in that position. He needed to move out because he's moving now. He didn't want to wait two, three weeks. So we're going to FedEx the paperwork to him across the country to have it notarized um, and signed, but he's already leaving and we're giving him money now. So just to talk about a situation, seller bought a house, it's turnkey, needs to sell it. So our exit strategy for that, we're going to put in a tenant buyer. That's what we kind of chatted about before. We put in a tenant buyer who's going to want to rent that house until they're able to buy it down the road. Um, and I know some people say, you know, you're going to get rid of your rentals. Um, you know, it takes time for that to happen. And if we do, uh, we turn a renter into an owner, we're going to get a check from it. So we'll go over that in a whole other lesson, but that's the reason why we love that. And once you find out our bulletproof system and how we do that, you would fall in love too, because a lot of folks who do um, see why we do it this way. So things that we've learned along the way. I would say the biggest one, and I know this is going to be kind of catching some of you off guard, is having the right mindset for this business. Your mindset is everything going into whatever task it is that you're going to do. Either you're going to love it, you're going to hate it, or you're going to just try to push through it. But your mindset is going to be crucial, and especially in a job or a career, when you're going to have obstacles thrown your way, how do you handle those things that come across? It? So your mindset is everything when you're doing something like real estate, because in all honestly, guys, you're dealing with probably the most expensive thing somebody's owned in their life, which is their house, right? So you're dealing with a lot of money. Sometimes you're dealing with a lot of emotion. There's a lot of things on the line here, guys. So having the right mindset of going into it, of trying to be from a giver's place, from a giver's heart. I've loaded myself with an education and all the different ways that I can help a seller to where it works out well for the seller. They're happy. It works out well for us too. And I've learned all these ways. I really try to master my craft. And now knowing everything that I do, I try to listen to a seller in their situation and try to match up from what I can do for them with which will also work for them, right? That they're happy with. And that's what I try to do in every situation. It's got to be a win-win for us but it's got to be a win for your seller too. And they have to feel good about what's going on. So this is the point of having the right 
attitude and mindset is we are trying to help folks. Um, it's not about just trying to make a paycheck. Yes, we do make money by doing this. It's not a nonprofit. It's just a business. But ultimately, these people do need help. And sometimes even hiring realtors in this situation and many others, it's not enough right now. And sometimes they need to look at other ways to be able to make these deals happen. So once again, your mindset is everything. I think a lot of the things that we've also learned is about being landlords. So I know a lot of folks who have these properties, or if maybe you're looking for a creative finance deal, or maybe you already have some properties, but I will tell you being a landlord is a great business, but it's like being an adult babysitter. So some of the things that I've learned, I know some of you will probably not like this, but maybe some of you do catch on. I have heard this from several folks who've had lots of properties, but especially in single family home rentals, which is a lot of what we do when we were renting, or even when we do rent to own, we do not furnish those properties with appliances. There's no stove, there's no refrigerator, there's no microwave. If there is a built-in dishwasher, I will put one in there. If there's a spot where there's a built-in microwave, I will put there. I will not put in a stove. I will definitely not put in a refrigerator. I know this shocks a lot of you, but I've heard this from multiple people who've had lots of properties. Once again, this is more catered to single-family homes than maybe multifamily, but I would still do it in a multifamily because it's how I roll. Um, and a lot of people worry about, do I not get the right tenant? Um, but if your tenant can't afford a refrigerator, guys, I don't. maybe they're not the best candidate for you anyways. But I will say, I don't want to have to scale my business and own 10 properties, 20 properties, 100, 200, 500, and own 500 refrigerators and 500 stoves and 500 microwaves, right? So when we had our houses, there were single family homes back in the day when we were renting houses, it never stopped us from renting a home ever. And if anything, I'm not trying to say this in a bad way, but maybe it helped pre-screen some people who maybe just weren't a good fit for it anyways if you can't go on Craigslist and find a decent refrigerator for $500. But I will say that the tenants now, if that refrigerator dies, they don't call you. They call Home Depot and get another one. Or if the stove doesn't work right, they don't call you. And in our example, at one of our properties, we actually had a house fire. And when the fire department came, they sent an investigator over. Obviously, the insurance company, everybody gets involved. And so the investigator calls and says, whose stove was that? I said, it's my tenant's stove. And they say, wait a second, that stove was owned by your tenant? I said, sure it is. I do not furnish my properties with stoves. Because that was their stove, and because the tenant mentioned that they were cooking bacon on that stove prior to the stove catching the grease on fire, which created a fire after they left the house, guys, not only did that claim not go against Jen and myself, but we also got our thousand dollar deductible back. Like the week before Christmas, the guy calls us like, Hey, I'm going to be sending your thousand dollars deductible back because it went against their insurance. So once again, many, many reasons, but I have learned from a landlord who had several hundred doors saying that's how many microwaves I'm going to own, how many stoves, how many dishwashers, the folks, I'm going to get a little bit better quality tenant. And because their stoves and microwaves and all that stuff is there, they usually stay a lot longer too. Because they don't want to move that stove. They don't want to move that dishwasher or whatever other stuff it is in there too. So once again, one of the big mistakes that we learned 
is we'd get this house, we're going to go put a rental in it, and we go spend three grand on appliances. We go buy these people all brand new appliances, four grand for appliances for their house. And then we put in a tenant buyer, I'm sorry, back then it was a tenant who honestly treats these like rentals. And when you get the house back, the fridge is a mess. And obviously you have to look at their deductible or their security deposit, but it's never good enough. So I will say one of our best things was that for sure. Number two, I would say the next thing was even though time life happens, we probably looking back while we were having kids, while Jen had her job as a teacher, why me being in finance, working full time, we were still buying houses and looking for deals. But guys, it was maybe one a year of that. And there was some years where we didn't buy any house, right? We were just working. We got caught up having kids in life and we use all the excuses to why we got sidetracked and kind of lost, not focus, but didn't still keep our gas in the pedal, right? So looking back on it now, I'm grateful for where we started. I'm very happy for what we have, but if we, I think, spent a little bit more time just consistently dialed into it, what could have achieved and what could have happened even more just by a little bit more focus. So there are plenty of times that we would use the excuse that my job, I'm working a lot. I know between Jen working as a teacher and me working and her getting her master's degree, how often will we see each other, right? But we were still buying properties. So I think that's the next big step for us too. Um, but the biggest thing I would say of all was using, and I'm not going to try to stir up too much controversy with this, but using the Burr method to try to scale was one of our bigger things. And the reason for that is having to be in situations like right now, or even the last year, I made a lot of, I made a lot of people get mad at me come January this year when I made a post that says Burr sucks. And I listed out a whole bunch of reasons why Burr sucks. And I can't tell you the most mean things people said about me and called me. Um, but once again, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. I've never bird before. I've never done it successfully, guys. We've bird a ton of times. We've never left money in a deal. We've pulled money out of every single deal, done it the right way. But the issue and the challenge is, especially right now, I, I always say it would stink, is because if this is your primary way of growing your business and scaling, I've had talks with the banks. So eventually, they're going to cut you off. Okay. The next thing about it is if you're going to have to constantly use hard money lenders to buy these properties cash to rehab them, you're putting a lot of things in the line right now, especially with prices being sky high but falling. You have appraisals, everything else, and you have high rates. If you plan on trying to burr right now at 7 8%, you could refinance in four or five years, but you're going to have to spend probably another five, six grand in closing costs and things like that. So burr is really, really risky. And especially lately, because real estate has been at an all-time high up until about five, six months ago. The prices have never been higher on real estate. The cost of materials are high because they're in shortages. Labor's never been higher, right? And now rates are climbing up. So all of these things are a catalyst to this. So this is why not spending enough time <clears throat> in mastermind groups and learning all the new strategies was really one of the things that slowed us down and relying on the old fashioned 101, buying them and fixing them up and spending our weekends in crappy houses. This is why I had a Mary Jen. Not only was she beautiful, smart, and amazing, but she would actually go to these crappy houses with me <clears throat> when we were just boyfriend and girlfriend. And somewhere I would run right back out of though. <laughs> somewhere that nasty that she would leave me inside. This is what we used to do. 
and we'd buy these houses and we'd rehab them and refinance them and put a renter in there and deal with leaky faucets and toilets and all the kind of stuff, right guys? So um, once we realized that we weren't making as much money as you were hoping for renting the traditional way, burring with our line of credit with our name on the line by having them in LLCs, but personally guaranteeing them and then having a furnace go, having to replace windows down the road, what happens when you want to do all these other things, right? You have to account for all that. So surprisingly enough, it wasn't enough money. So what we did is we got into more mastermind groups. Ron the Grand was one of them. We got into some coaching. We got into marketing. We got into a lot of different coaching. And guys, that's what sprung everything around for us. Like this was a lot of the catalyst between 2017. The last handful of years is what changed everything. So the point of it was we spent so much, we're over six figures between mastermind groups, coaches, the right people to be around who are doing, you know, seven, eight figures a year in real estate. Um, some of our coaches are doing 30 to 40 deals a month. Some are even doing more than that. So what is it that it, it takes? It's really refining your processes and things like this and, and really consistency. And these were the things that we learned from these groups. The creative finance was one catalyst, right? Because we learned how to do wholesaling. We learned how to do fix and flips. But our goal, and our goal still currently, is to accumulate real estate that's going to cash flow, that's going to appreciate, right? How do I get it without overpaying for it? How do I still get it at good interest rates in good terms? Well, that's where all the creative stuff comes into. And once you learn that you could be the bank and negotiate, then you can't with Wells Fargo and you can't with Chase Bank, but with these deals, you can, you'd be shocked what you're able to make now, right? So this is why we bought this house in Lakeland, Florida for $1,000 down. It's going to be probably $4,000 in closing costs. So guys, for $5,000 out of pocket, we own this house for the next 29 years. We've taken over that mortgage of $1,300 a month PITI, right? If anybody's got $5,000, now, my team says, Joe, what are you going to do with this house? Well, I'm going to put in a tenant buyer like we talked about. But if this is a house that my family wanted to move into, I could buy this house and move into it and never have to qualify for a mortgage and get a 4% rate. Because that's what the underlying debt is at 4% through their lender. So these are the reasons why we loved creative finance. And after all these light bulbs came in, especially the fact that we learned that we can buy all the real estate that we want without having to have that traditional W-2 where I had to refinance it and go through all of these processes. And now I learned how to do creative finance. This was the key for us scaling. So next week, what we're going to do is I'm going to go over how to build a million dollar portfolio in 12 months without using banks, without using credit. That's the topic next week. So if you want to learn how to do that, guys, and it doesn't matter if you live in Florida where we do, and that's two deals, or if you live in PA and your average house is 80 grand and that's 12 deals. I'm telling you, you could do this in one year without using banks, without using credit, and you'll be shocked how well this stuff works. And once you see the system that we put in place, the sky is literally the limit. And this is why we dial back to creative finance. So some of the things that we didn't learn or some of our mistakes, not getting these mastermind groups, not finding out what these other investors are using and some of these strategies like Pace Morby, he's blown up his thing, right? He's done a great job of bringing it to light. These techniques aren't new, guys. Ron the Grand's been talking about this stuff for 20 years, doing courses on this stuff, 
right? This is where we've all learned it from are the guys like Ron Legrand. However, it's coming to light more. It's becoming more popular. When I wholesaled my first deal 20 years ago, I didn't even know there were such thing as wholesalers that did this for a living, right? But now everything's online. It's a lot more popular. So these are the strategies that you're going to want to dive into. So yes, do we do wholesaling? We sure do. Do we do two fix and flips? I got two of them right now that we're about to close on with the next few weeks that we're going to do here in Florida. Um, we do a lot of these creative finance deals. And like just example, yesterday, there's a great one. Um, <clears throat> so other mistakes that we've learned, this is not screening buyers good enough. And they always say that the you know buyers are buyers are liars, but sellers are even worse. But say when we wholesale deals, what are we looking for? We're looking for an end buyer. And I could spend a whole other class with you guys talking on just this one topic alone, but I'm going to kind of speed it up a little bit for you so you learn this quickly. When you're working with somebody that you're going to wholesale, you need to make sure, A, that they're the end buyer, where the deposit is coming from. Is that coming from their bank account or their LLC, or is that coming from a lender? And if it's coming from a lender, I want the lender's information to understand that they know what they're lending this money for. Then the rest of the money on that deal, where's that coming from? Is that coming from their bank account or is that coming from a lender? Either way, I'm going to want proof of funds. And if it's coming from a lender who they're borrowing the money from, I need to talk to that person and make sure they know that they're leaving that money towards that deal, right? Not somebody giving me some fake bank account with, you know, JP Morgan's name on it. And that's my money lender is JP Morgan. And that's the guy's name lending me the money. And I go to call JB Morgan, they're like, who, huh? No, he just wanted to copy my bank account, right? Or some stuff like that. It comes up all the time, guys. I get some that say, here's my proof of um, funds. And I look at it's PJ Morby, Pace Jordan Morby. And I'm like, does Pace know you're, you're using his million dollars to fund this deal? Well, I'm not really getting the money from there. And I'm like, well, then where are you really getting the money from? That's what I need to know. Do you have the money to close on this? Because if you're not, it looks like to me, it's called daisy chaining, right? They tell me they're a buyer. They try to lock up my deal. And then honestly, guys, they're just trying to look for a buyer too. I'm trying to daisy chain my deal. So I ask them, are they an end buyer? And if they're trying to bring us a buyer, I'll work with them. But I just need to know up front what's going on. I don't want to find out the hard way. You want to know why? Because you want to know how many times we go to closing and our buyer missed the plane, missed the train, missed the boat, missed the car ride, missed the taxi, missed the Uber, missed the rocket ship, missed the bank closing, missed the lotto number, missed the you know what. <clears throat> and all of a sudden that buyer is no longer there. So next thing, <clears throat> make sure you get a big enough deposit, right? A non-refundable deposit. They know if they don't show up like they're supposed to be, when somebody offers you a thousand dollar deposit, you know they have no skin in the game. We just had a buyer back out of our deal just not too long ago. And hey, babe, tell them how much the deposit is that we collected on that deal that I okayed. The last one? <laughs> the last one. $300. Can you say that again for the people who couldn't hear you? $300. Okay, that is abnormally low. I forgot what the circumstances were behind that, but
but usually I don't like to collect. And it depends on the property and the price, but it's usually five, ten thousand dollars and up. Some are twenty-five to fifty thousand dollar deposits, depending on what they are. I don't know why I okay. Really, really bad. And it was not going to be a big assignment fee. And we were just trying to find a buyer to help the folks out, but the house is really, really rough. Three hundred dollars, guys. So once again, there was not much skin in the game. How solid was that buyer? How were the odds if you're a gambling person was that deal going down the road? Slim to effing none. And guess who would have been right? You, if you get that. So once again, getting a big deposit is key. Screening your buyer, finding out where their deposit's coming from, finding out where the rest of the funds are coming from, making sure that all parties are on board. Getting title companies that they've done business with before and call them to find out how those closings went. Right. I need to have some references. I want to see some HUD statements of properties that they've closed on. So I need to see these things. If we assign cash deals, we also assign creative finance deals, sub two seller finance deals. Now, those are even way trickier, guys, because we have to make sure that our seller and buyer both agree on each other and what's going on. We have a meeting of the minds and everybody gives the blessing. And we do some heavy screening first to make sure everybody knows who everybody is and everything fits right and to proceed forward. That's a whole other class on that alone. But I will tell you with these creative finance deals, if you're turning over a seller finance deal or a sub two deal where the seller's expecting you to make that payment, you better make sure your end buyer knows what the heck they're doing. You're not going to want to turn over that deal to some person who may not be equipped to handle that deal, right? So what do we look for? I want to find out what you're doing with the property. Have you had experience doing this? So we just had one in Florida, Winter Haven, Florida on a turnkey house. You guys might've heard about this property, turnkey, beautiful house, 3000 square foot, five bedroom, four bathroom house, bought it sub two, no money down, just covered closing costs. Now our buyer is going to use that for an Airbnb. They have several Airbnbs in the area already and already kicking butt with those. So they're going to add this to their portfolio of properties that are already doing well with, and they got a really good deal on it. So they're thrilled with that deal. The buyer, sellers, everybody meets, everybody's happy. We collect our assignment fee. We're good in that deal. Airbnb is not generally what Jenna and I do. So we're happy on that deal to turn that over to another investor who's going to give us a finder's fee for that. And I hope they make out like bandits. If you have not had a chance, last week we were on Ron the Grand's um, live summit event he had. And part of that interview was him yelling at me for assigning his deals. Let you guys have these deals. Cause he says that we're letting you guys or whoever buys these deals make too much money. We don't make enough, but the name of the game is everybody should win. And, uh, we can't close literally on all of these deals. So there are some we have to assign, but they're all great deals. And that's why we write them. So I would say the big thing there was screening your buyers or making sure they're legitimate. And if they're a cash buyer, guys, make sure they're going to have the money to show up because it is the worst feeling in the world to have that happen. The next thing that we have learned from our training, many trainings, is if you are going to write up a deal and you are going to assign it to somebody else, we obviously make sure that we have built into that a minimum of a 14-day, but we're really doing a 21-day due diligence period to make sure we get our walkthroughs, our photos, and everybody through the property that we need to get through the property in a fair amount of time to get all the information back, 
and a sit down to make sure that we have the right information in front of us. When we were writing deals initially, we were having a lot of folks, especially if we knew we were going to figure out what we're going to do, if we're going to keep it in house or if we're going to sign it, because every deal that we, we write up, we can close on every one of them. It's just some we got to figure out if we're going to keep them or if we're going to assign them, but we can't really do every one of them. So on this particular ones that we're going to assign, I want to make sure I have built in a big enough due diligence period to make sure I get my people through them. So this is one of the big factors I think that we put too much pressure on ourselves by having to do a no inspection, no due diligence, no way. If a seller tries to talk to you to that, guys, I'm not doing that deal. Just won't do it. You're going to work with enough sellers right now who are more than flexible. They will be more than willing to let you get that. Right. So we have zero issues doing that, even when folks are moving. So other examples, would you say, hon, that you could think about that you've learned, especially I would say from pre-screening, especially tenant buyers for some of our rent-to-own properties, a lot of it boils down to the same thing. Well, yeah, I would say the biggest tenant buyer was um, when we first started not having the almost for me, it was the confidence of really getting those large non-refundable option deposits. Because when we opened the floodgates, everybody's coming at us with little to no money for, you know, a non-refundable down payment. And um, the first one or the second one we took, I would say we didn't get enough and it was going to put them in a bad spot. They didn't end up qualifying um, anyway with the house. They were the ones with the, uh, the fire issue, but um you know, had, looking back, I, I know now that we have a lot of properties um, that we've been able to help folks through, like having that large non-refundable option deposit is truly what gets them across the finish line. And then also you're getting a higher quality tenant in there that's going to take it seriously. They're really going to treat the home as their own and, um, you know, just giving it some time. I think sometimes we're, we're not as patient as maybe we should be. It's not just a rental, so the turnover shouldn't be there. And so sometimes, have, especially on a higher-end property, you might have to be able to float those few payments on a mortgage that you're buying on a wrap until uh, you find the right person. So that was one thing Ron always said. We definitely learned our lesson there. So if you could um, learn that before you have to go through it yourself, I would highly recommend you know giving the time, having a little bit of a cushion, and making sure you're patient to find the right buyer for the right home because there is a person out there for that home. It just might take you the the right time. Like I know one property we had in the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania. It took us quite a while, but we bought it on a was it a sandwich lease? Yeah, lease purchase. We bought it on a sandwich lease purchase, so there's no money out of pocket. We had 90 days till the first payment. And I think the payment was how much? Like 600 a month, right? And so you're floating that payment for a little while, but we got the most perfect tenant buyer. She wanted to own her own house and she was a little bit younger. Um, I think she was like 20 or something, but loves the house, taking great care of it. And had we just tried to move it quicker and not had um, her in there, you know, I can't say I would be as happy to be able to have that property. But how much of a, so a non-refundable option deposit do we get on that one? I want to say it was 12. It's a small, you know, rural property. So. There's no closing costs, guys. Because we bought on a lease purchase, sandwich lease purchase. We had no payments for 90 days. And then when we did make payments, it was 600 bucks a month for a handful of months. So what do we have out of pocket? Maybe two grand. Mm-hmm. And you get a $12,000 non-refundable option deposit. And now you are into a deal setting and forgetting it. Like I, I never, 
I've never spoken to her actually. Courtney actually has a great relationship. <laughs> she's like one of our favorites, right? Because everything's great. She's doing well, taking great care of the property. So that's kind of the key guys, um, is getting a large enough with your rent to own properties, a large enough option deposit. Some of the big mistakes that we've heard from a lot of folks who do this is I give them two years to get me cashed out. They don't get me cashed out in two years. So I kick them out. But the part of it is, is, you know, you sell somebody a $200,000 home. They're going to probably need close to $20,000 down when they go to closing between three and a half percent down or 5% down first year of taxes, homeowners insurance, and then all the closing costs. It's going to be close to 20 grand. You collect $3,000 from somebody, put them in a two-year rental to get the option to buy it. Guys, they're never going to be able to come up with the other 17 grand unless they literally have like the money for sure coming and the money still for sure doesn't come. I promise you it doesn't come, right? So that's why we make sure when we collect the right amount of money, we collect it up front from the person because after we got that issue out of the way, the rest of it's cakewalk. We could fix whatever else is going on with enough time, right? And if that's the case, we will make sure we give them an amount of time to do it. In two years, guys, if somebody just gave us $20,000 down and they're paying on time, they didn't get to that end of the agreement, we're not kicking them out. We're not throwing these people out. We're just going to extend their time. Yeah, there's sometimes we have to revisit the price if things have gone dramatically up or things like that. If not, we leave them. But if not, we just let them stay there because these folks honestly will treat this house better than any tenant you probably already have. Because and that's where like on the front end, you really have to make sure you get those great term lengths because mm -hmm. that could be a problem if you don't yeah. have a long enough. So when you're buying the house, especially if you're buying a creative finance, if your seller says, oh, I want to be cashed out in two years, it's not giving you a lot of time. That's the minimum for me is five. And I don't even like doing that. More of 10 is the minimum almost for me, especially with the market turning right now. Like I could do five, but I better get a heck of a deal on that property. If I'm going to pay a good amount for it, I'm going to need a minimum of 10 years. So, but you're right, getting on a long enough term length on the front end, buying it on terms, and then making sure that if your tenant buyer doesn't buy you out in two years from now, you just extend it again, let them stay in there. They're, they're, they're landscaping, they're doing the yard on the weekends. You know, they, they made the house look beautiful. And really, if you ever walk them to the super in the supermarket, that's really the only time you'll probably ever talk to them. Okay, because you're not going to get the plug toilet call because they know they're responsible for the maintenance repairs and all the utilities. So all the vacancy that you'll have to save and the cap X for future maintenance and repairs, like we get in and out of the properties before we have to replace that roof in 15 years, right? We might own the property for eight years and be in and out of them. So getting a big enough deposit is definitely the key. So when it is time to get your buyer to buy, you're ready to go. And I'll give you another example, guys. We have a we had a property in New York that because it was a rental, code enforcement has to do a walkthrough. Code enforcement says, well, there's an old bathroom in the basement there. And for some reason, when they've inspected the last handful of years, it's never been an issue. But for some reason, now it is. And they want us to get permits. They want us to do all of these things. And it's like a whole grocery list now of stuff that they want to do. This bathroom has been in there since the 1940s but for some reason now it's an issue so instead of us having to go fight with the town or go spend thousands of dollars getting all the permits or go and putting an egress window that they weren't even using this bathroom um we told the tenant buyers just time to buy the house then it's not an issue anymore and we literally just financed the house we collected a gigantic check 
the guy from the town called me and says, hey, what about this house? I said, I don't even own it anymore. Sold it. He's like, oh, well, just write this off my desk then and there it goes. So there's so many reasons why I love doing this. Other example was same town, same issue, different property. Tenant buyer says, don't worry about it. I'll go throw in the $5,000 window and I'll go deal with the town for everything else on their dime, not mine. So they went and spent $4,600 and had a new egress window put in the house. A tenant buyer did. These people, when did they move in? 2017. 2017. They treat it like home. And I mean that. <laughs> Sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes it's, you know, not as good as you'd hope, but it's still good. Um, so these are some of the things though, guys, I will say for sure. We have tried a lot of different business models. The one thing I will say how to avoid future mistakes, if you are into fixing and flipping right now, you need to get out of your flips quick. The market is changing. There's going to be a lot more properties on the market. The prices are going to continue to drop. Whatever you figured out that ARV is of that, at that house after repair value, what's it going to be worth in three months, five months, six months when you go to list that house if you're going to do a fix and flip? So if you're doing fix and flips right now, guys, I would more apt to wholesale that and make much less than actually go through that fix and flip myself. So what are you going to see from us? Even the two fix and flips that we have going right now, I'm not going to be doing the flip. We bought the property, right? We are paying for the property. Guys, one, we're paying completely in cash, doing it through a, a self-directed IRA. I'm cleaning it out and I'm immediately putting it on the market for sale. And that's right in St. Pete as a handyman special and putting it on the biggest buyer's list there is in the area, which is the MLS with a realtor. The second one we bought, I bought it on terms. So I bought a condo here in Bradenton, Florida. And I'll go over this deal real quick. The seller owes um, 13,000 to a hard money lender. He has about $9,000 in back HOA fees and he needs to walk away with like $11,000. So his ARV on this condo is 170, 175-ish. Lakeview condo, two bedroom, one bathroom, like 980 square feet. This condo out of, there's many buildings in the area. This is the only building that is not 55 and older. And that I could also rent immediately because most of these you have to own for two years before you could rent. This one building is what they call phase one. I can rent this thing right away. And they don't have to be 55 and older. And this one has the Lakeview. Although the girl is not winning any prom dates She's nasty. Okay. It needs a lot of love. Um, however, we're buying it right at 85,000, but on that, we're taking over his $50,000 mortgage that we're just going to make the $360 payment on while we're going to clean it all out. And I'm just going to list it on the market on the MLS as is handyman special, right? So we have it under contract. I think we could be able to list that for about 110. And I think it would probably go over that if I'm going to guess because the area is pretty hot. And even though the market is slowed right now, the inexpensive stuff under 200 grand is still moving pretty good. It's the, in our areas, the million dollar plus stuff is definitely taking a big hit. So once again, in any fix and flip that we're doing right now, I'm not even doing the renovations. We're just cleaning them out and putting them on the market for sale. But the other thing too, is if I'm going to do that, I don't even want to pay cash for the whole property. Many times what I'm doing is I'm having the seller 
float the underlying debt until we put it on the market. We close on it, we buy it, and then we immediately sell it. Now, I know a lot of folks say, well, why would you not do a novation agreement? But the challenge with the novation agreement, I do think they're very handy. I don't control the deed. I have no control over if my seller is going to show up for a closing, and that could be an issue. If I have to put any money into a property, I want to put into a property that I own. Okay. So for me, I'll spend a few extra thousand dollars to close on it the first time, control the deed, and then sell it on the market. And that's why I prefer doing it that way versus just the typical novation, which I think are very handy, but that's really why I do that. I've heard nightmares of stories of sellers wanting to renegotiate because they found out that you're selling their house for way more. They won't go to closing or they hold the deal hostage for one reason or another, or now that you've done some work to the house, they don't want to sell. And there's all these other things that could go on. So these are some of the big things that are where I say for me, I want to be in my fix and flips right now. So lightning quick. I don't even want to do the renovations. Maybe I find a retail buyer who wants to buy the house to move into it and they want to do the work themselves. Maybe I find an investor who wants it, right? But I'm going to leave that open and not push it to just investors um, because I think um, moving forward, we're going to have to be a little trickier in how we're going to sell these properties. The last thing I'm going to leave off with, and then we're going to get to Q&A, is if you're going to start doing business with realtors, there are some realtors who are absolutely just you know, paper pushers, right? They don't do a whole lot. But then there's some realtors who really put the grind in who are fantastic. You want to find those folks, right? Find the realtors who are knowing the market shifting, know that they're going to have to do some work. And they, we have some of these on our team, guys, and they are a pleasure to do business with. And then I have some realtors who are actually really good friends of mine who are literally like a dead weight when it comes to doing any type of work. And I don't know if it's just, uh, they got, you know, it was easy the last few years to make a lot of money and they kind of got a little lazy. But the folks who are really putting the grind in, find those realtors who could help get you some comps, get me some rental comps. Like I have my realtor in town, her name's Judy, who's fantastic. And she gave me all the info about this apartment. So, or the, my condo. So when it goes time to list it, I'm calling Judy back and she's going to list this place for me because she's already got sales in that area, knows all the ins and outs and knows it. So this is why, and she's, I don't know her age, but Judy is not probably younger than me doesn't matter the age. She is an absolute hustler. So um, mad props to Judy because she was awesome. So, but I'm going to give her that business. And we have some of them back in our own town in New York and things like that. So team up with the right team, realtors included are extremely important for you guys. Um, I'm going to piggyback off that. And just from, because this was something I kind of fell into my lap early on too, is as far as your team goes as well, um, pay for someone to do your books. You know, don't waste the time trying to figure out QuickBooks. If it's never been your thing, don't make it your thing. Um, I know it, it took us a little while to just finally, you know, hire somebody to really be able to help out with all of that. And I cannot tell you the amount of stress that relieved uh, come tax time because I was always trying to like go crazy at the end there. So biggest mistake I made was waiting way too long, um, trying to do our books. And, you know, once you hit that, like double digit properties, and it's a lot, um, even if it's just single family homes, we were doing fix and flips and, you know, everything tenants, money in money out. So if you can hire that out sooner than later, just allocate that money. It is the best money we've ever spent probably so far. 
<laughs> as far as uh, my sanity when it came to tax time. So I just want to throw that out there because it's not the fun topic, um, but it's important to really make sure you're spending money and surrounding yourself with that is part of your team um, because Uncle Sam, he needs to get paid and you need to make sure you're on top of all that. <laughs> Oh, and it's just a great example between our business of having VAs and then Jen has her own VA. You know, that's extremely helpful, guys. And this is why, once again, having people cut your grass. We have a pool guy. We have a nanny who comes here from nine to one, Monday through Friday. We don't, I mean, house cleaner comes every other week. We might want to have that done weekly, right? Because like, we're just getting here. So we're finding out who we like and don't. But, you know, these are all of the things where I never, I haven't cut my grass in years, even in my own lawn, it was only about an hour long, but that hour long that I could spend $25 to have somebody else do or 30 bucks, I could be doing way more than an hour. Rather it's being productive, making seller calls, working on some ads I could do or spending time with my wife and kids. But the lawn is mm -hmm. something where I could spend 25 bucks for, that's the best 25 bucks I'm gonna be. So start getting good at delegating some of the tasks that we do in our day-to-day -day life that gives us the excuse that I don't have time to work in my business. Well, maybe if you didn't cut your grass for an hour or two, once a week, you could spend that hour or two and you wouldn't be, you'd be shocked what that adds up to by the end of the day, end of the week, end of the month, end of the year, right? So these are the small things of how can you do this? And some of our best friends, biggest investors, people we look up to say the same things, guys, like stop doing these tasks. And we've heard this now. Mm -hmm. How many times? Like when you hear- If you're still buying your own groceries, Instacart. Like I know it costs a little bit of money more to have them do that, but that saves so much time for us each week. You know, once in a while, I like to go to the grocery store, but for the most part, have your list. Someone else can do it. You're employing them and now your groceries are there. So if you have not delegated anything in your life, start there. That's my biggest tip. <laughs> groceries just show up on the doorstep. It's amazing <laughs> how that happens. Um, you got to push buttons though, but it's really- these are the small steps, guys, right? And we just went a couple, well, last month, really September, to Tiffany and Josh High in Columbus, Ohio. They're fantastic. These guys do 30 deals a month. And when you have somebody who are in their 20s and 30s, and they're doing eight figures a year in real estate, and they say that these are some of the things that we do that we really recommend. And then you hear this from other investors, I'm giving you guys, you don't have to spend thousands of dollars to hear tell, tell you guys to have somebody cut your own lawn have somebody else go do it for you. Okay. Um, these are the small steps they'll take to get you successful. And to the point now where if I'm going to be my waking hours, I spend it doing this kind of stuff. And with you guys. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. This is much more enjoyable. Yes, definitely. All right. Adam had a question for us. Why don't we do Airbnb? Um, so That's that so was work. one of the things Adam <laughs> Ron the Grand yelled at me for. If you look, the interview is on YouTube. But um, so what I try to do is not get shiny object syndrome. I try to really stay laser focused on what's working because I feel like when I lose focus and I spread myself too thin, I don't do anything well. And so what we have to make sure that we have is somebody, if we're going to start an Airbnb division, I need somebody who's going to be able to manage that and I pour it back to myself and Jen of what's going on there without me having to dive too much into it. And I know how I am and I'm going to want to dive into it. And then that's going to take my time away from other things, which will then lose productivity. So therefore on those deals, I like to keep almost all of our properties anyways, but if there's some deals, especially some where they really are just an amazing Airbnb property, 
can I get a $30,000, $40,000 assignment fee on some of these really, really good ones and let some other investor make out like a bandit? Sure. Could I have made a lot more money? Sure, I could have. Um, but I've also seen a lot of times where Airbnb changes regulations. I've seen some times where it could be just a little bit more of a challenge depending on what's going on with seasons and bookings. And I've heard sometimes where Airbnb, you know, they don't like you, they can turn it off and all the other things where to be quite honest with you, all the different variables that go around in that, around that business, you need to find somebody who's really dialed into it. And unfortunately, that's just not me. Would I love to find a, an implementer who is like, hey, Joe, like you lock up these Airbnb deals and I'll handle it all. And I know I could trust because that's also really important, right? Um, I'm not saying I wouldn't be opposed to it, but it have to be the right fit. We do come across a lot of these deals, guys, a lot of them. We find five to 10 deals every single month, month in and month out. November 1st is today. We just went to our new office today. Computers all being set up this week. So we're going to have an office here in Florida in the Tampa area. We're going to hire people. And that number is going to significantly increase. That's why we're opening an office, not to have less numbers. So with this being the case, we're going to have a lot of opportunities. And I also foresee a lot of opportunities from sellers who need to sell their house who really don't have a lot of better options because the market is shifting, right? So us having these creative strategies to where we're still able to get deals at 2.75% more than people I'm talking to right now. We ask them, what's the rate on the mortgage if we buy your house and we buy it this way with sub two, what's the rate? And 275 is the one I just saw. Mm -hmm. So if we're able to still get these rates because somebody bought this house a year and a half ago and we give them eight grand at closing because they don't have a ton of equity, and we're hitting the easy button for them so they can leave the old couch behind and the sofa behind and do all of these things and make it happen for them quickly and make their dreams come true, let's go. And if I could get rates at these twos and three percent, and these are gonna be in abundance, guys, and especially the way that the housing market and the way that these properties are starting to pile up in the MLS, when these interest rates go up at the end of this month to 8%, you're going to see a, another shift. And then they've already said they're going to do this next year too. So if they do next year. What do you think their rates are going to go to? All right? What do you think we're going to see next year? This is just the first quarter of the game, guys. And we're not even halfway through it. So what's happening is this is a big moving ship, the real estate market. So imagining it's not a speedboat. I can just whip this thing around and it goes in a different direction. This takes time to move. And as this is moving, we're going to see a huge shift to where this is turning into a buyer's market, a big time buyer's market. Jen and I were in Florida visiting in 2009. When you go down the street, every fourth house had a for sale sign in the front yard and they weren't selling. When you're able to offer terms that I could buy with seller financing, when the realtor they feel is doing a lousy job, it's not really always the realtor's fault, guys. House could be overpriced, probably because that's what they owe close to it. In those circumstances, there's really not many other choices. So we just did one in Jacksonville, Florida. We're closing one on Niagara Falls coming up really soon. We have a lot more of these deals coming where they just recently bought it and they need to sell. So keep tuned for much more of that. We're going to go over these every single week. And don't forget next week, next Tuesday, we're going to go live on how to make, how to grow a million dollar portfolio with no banks and no credit in one year. We're giving you the blueprint how to do it. 
Yeah, um, and if you're a part of our group, that there was a question. I threw it in there though. Um, we always post our deals. You guys will kind of see them first. They go up on a favehomebuyers.com as well. If we are not keeping it in house and we are going to assign those creative deals, um, you can, or cash deals, you can check that out. Um, get on our buyers list. Courtney is our dispo manager, and so she's usually the one you'll see posting a lot of all of the deals happening there. So I just want to throw that out there because I know that question came up. Yep. All right, Sean was asking about how we find tenant buyers and you know it's honestly a lot easier than you would think I have to say that um, you have lots of options you can find them a lot like how you would find sellers right um, number one place for us is Facebook we absolutely love Facebook in 2017 I created a Facebook page I think Joe actually made the page but I made him go live and from there um, we had probably two people watching and now we've grown that page to over I think 7,500 likes, which to me, it was like a wow moment. Um, you know, in just, just a few years, organically, we've created this community. Um, in 585, rent to own is our old um, area code in Rochester, but it's got such a nice following now that folks are sharing it all over. So you could certainly use Facebook. And when you think about Facebook, you have your free Facebook page, which is your storefront. So you want to be sharing there. You've got your personal page with all your friends on it. You can have up to 5,000 friends. Then you have Facebook groups that you can post into, whether the community groups or a group that you create of your, of your own. And then you also have Facebook Marketplace. Just got to be a little careful there with your wording, I think. Um, and that's just Facebook. I just listed all those freeways, right? And then, of course, there are bandit signs, the beautiful, ugly yellow signs that say rent to own, bad credit okay. If you put up there that they don't need uh, bank qualifications and they don't need to have good credit, like any credit is accepted, you're going to be talking to the masses, okay? Folks have money, they just don't have the ability to get a mortgage at the moment. Um, and those are the folks that you want to talk to, those that have money for a non-refundable option deposit, and it's just putting yourself out there. You could try Craigslist, you can put it, what else am I forgetting? So uh, I like Zillow too. Just Zillow? Zillow is a rental but in my headlines, it put this is a rental own only, not a rental. Um, no bank qualification, all credit accepted. I put what the rental price is, but that's it. I don't put the price of the house and I have them call, right? Or I have them message me. So the only issue I will tell you is if you do all of these marketing channels that we just discussed, you will have between 100 and 300 messages per day at times, depending on where the house is located. And if you're in a real busy city, guys, it could be out of control. Do you want to know how many people write in the comments, I messaged you and you never got back to me? I'm like, there's 300 of them and they just keep coming. Mm -hmm. So we hired an answering service to answer the phone calls through Pat Live. Um, we have a script. Thanks for calling John and Joe's office. Are you looking at buying and selling a house today? Looking at buying. Handful of questions comes to us in email. One of the questions they ask is, how much can you raise for a, a non refundable option deposit? What's the most you could raise? If they don't answer that question, our team tells them that Jen and Joe will not call you back unless you have an answer to that question. So if they don't tell you a number, they don't got the money. Because if I'll tell you what, the people who've got 20 grand, like I got 20 grand, you better believe I want them called back in minutes. I want them when they hit click, their phone to start ringing with one of us on the other end, like, hey, when can you come see this house? right? So these are what we want to do because I will warn you, 90 something percent of the people who reach out to you don't have money. They got 1500 bucks and they want to rent to own your house. They're going to need 15 to 20 grand down. 
However, don't discount it because I do tell them, hey, on a property in this range, it's typically around this. For the people who tell me they've got no money, it's typically around this. If that's something you get close to, I'd love to talk more about it because they might say, you know what? Grandma's going to lend me the money. You'd be surprised. So I don't want to slam the door on the people who say no, but I want to have a rebuttal. It's all done through messaging, guys. We don't have to talk to them. I only want to get on the phone with the people who are serious who've got money. And then the tip with that too is if they say they have, let's say roughly, you know, roughly we're looking for a minimum of 10,000. If they say they have at least 5,000, we get them into the house and we want them to do a tour. So we know they have at least some money. That's not going to be enough to get the house. But if they get in there and they fall in love with it, they end up finding the money. Maybe they had a little bit more. Maybe like Joe said, they could borrow it from a friend or family. Um, but the point is to really, if they if they have a little bit, uh, that could be enough, you know, let them in, let them see it. It's kind of uh, just one of those things where we've noticed that if they do, if it's the perfect property, they come up with the money. So again, they're not going to get in there without, you know, a, a large non-refundable option deposit. But if they do have at least, I don't want to say 5%, but somewhere, you know, that you felt like, okay, like, let me let me at least look at it. And you're right, because a lot of times what it is, it's numbers are important, right? But if somebody's got $10,000 down, guys, they usually will have 15 as well. And if they walk through, see the property, oh my God, it's better than where we're living. I can, we can move in now. What do you think, honey? Can you do 15? Yeah, we could do the 15. Opposed to never letting them see it, telling them, oh, you need 15, if not beat it. What do you think is going to work better, right? So if they're pretty darn close, get them to do the tour, get them mm -hmm. to see it. And a lot of times if they love it, they're going to figure a way. And I will tell you, we always ask, do you have anything that you want to sell or trade? We had a gentleman who was going to sell us his truck, but it was an old F-250. I didn't want one. So I said, go to the dealership, get it appraised. They're going to write you a check. And he went to the dealership and said, holy cow, I can't believe they're going to give me that much for my truck. And I said, giddy up. Well, guess what? There's our deposit. He sold them the check writes us the check from there. And then there we go. That was part of his down payment. Plus he had his own cash too. So in that circumstances, he had half the money. We said, do you have anything that you want to sell or trade? Maybe a boat, maybe a four-wheeler, maybe a truck. I will tell you if I could find a nice four-wheeler, I don't know what I would even put it, but I would take it, right? Or a boat more likely because where we are um, in Florida. But nonetheless, guys, it's your business. You could do what you want. So mm -hmm. remember that. Um, I mean, I've heard of people taking all types of stuff. Yeah. Okay. So along that line, Adam asked the question, would we ever sell a truck or a car or an RV via a lease option? Or would you just strictly sell houses? Um, so vehicles are depreciating liabilities. You'd have to own it outright and then sell it and then make interest on it. And there's usually not as much money on there. You can, if I was going to sell, I'd always leave that as an open option. But you know, if I had to repo a car, I will tell you as a bank goes, they lose a significant amount of money. I was in the car business for 20 years, guys. I was in finance office. I know everybody at banks. If they lend you whatever it is, if they repo it, they're lucky to get 40% back by the time they get the car back, the trucking, the repo service, the clean out, to put it to auction, auction services, all the crap. They're lucky to get 40% back. If you're going to be lending out your car to somebody on an interest rate, are they a turd and they can't get a finance traditionally? Because if they are, are you going to charge them 24%? Right? Because that's what they would get at a, at a car dealership if they're so bad. So I'm not saying yay or nay, 
But for me personally, cars depreciate, houses usually don't. If I have to take a house back, it usually doesn't drop significantly in value in a car. Who knows what the heck they could have done for it? So me personally, no. <laughs> All right, back to that house fire question. Trace is asking, the tenant had their own tenant insurance, but did your property insurance also have to cover any damages to the home itself? How exactly did that work out? Great question. So our tenant buyers did this on purpose. Well, we can't yeah. say that for sure. Okay. Coincidence. Coincidentally. A lot, of, a lot of coincidences allegedly happened. Okay. So one, I'll give you guys the truth. You want to hear the nitty gritty shit story. I'll tell you the real one. Okay. Not the oh, geez, We're going there today. All right. Happy November. Right. November 1st. So these folks did a rent to own from us. Um, gave us a good amount of money down. We just rehabbed the house. We bought it cheap because it was on a short sale. We bought this house for like 36 grand. Ridiculously cheap. We'd made it beautiful, put in a tenant buyer. They gave us, I think, 10 grand down, eight grand down, whatever it was. Um, not enough. Lesson learned. <laughs> we thought we're great people, and they seemed to be fantastic people. He was a truck driver. She worked at a daycare. Both decent jobs, both making good money, right? Moved up here from down south. We're paying on time for a while, then all of a sudden kind of got like a little belligerent. It would like not pay and then would like be mean about not paying besides. So we tried to work with them for a very, very long time, the best we can. And they got to be like four grand behind. Then all of a sudden, one day I'm pulling into work and I get a call from the fire marshal saying, hey, do you own this house on Conrad Drive? I said, I sure do. He's like, well, that thing's on fire. I said, well, ain't that dandy. He's like, you might want to come over and come check this place out. I literally, my truck just hit the curb pulling in work. I did a U-turn, called work, like, hey, well, my property's on fire. I'm going to be late today. So I go to this house. I'm there in like 20 minutes. I call my tenant buyers, both of them. No answer. And I'm blowing up both of their phones. I'm thinking, well, they're thinking Joe wants his money. We're going to ignore him. So I'm like, hey, text message, your house is on fire. Call me right away. This is like 8.30, 9 o'clock in the morning. At like one o'clock in the afternoon, they call me together and I'm like, hey, didn't you get all my messages? Like, and the fire marshal's been calling you all day long. Your house is on fire. And now I'm listening to people, right? They didn't have any pets, no kids, just married couple. And it was the most like worst acting I've ever been a part of in my life. And I've been to like some childhood plays where I'm like, this, this is terrible, right? She was like, oh no, not the house. The house is on fire. Oh no. And I'm like, God, she is so believable. She did such a great job. I almost think that she didn't know what was going on here, right? Terrible acting. Either way, house on fire. I'm kind of giving them right up. Like, yeah, I've been calling you all day long. Well, so sorry. I, I didn't realize. Okay. So the fire marshal calls. We have insurance on the property. They had renter's insurance, but I got canceled. Didn't have renter's insurance for a while, but they happened to just get renter's insurance like a couple months before the fire, believe it or not. Amazing how that happened. Um, so either way, our insurance gets called, says there's a fire at the property. Our insurance is the one that sends over all the investigators, things like that. And we ask all the questions. They interviewed our tenant buyers. The tenant buyer says, well, we were cooking bacon for breakfast. And when we left for work, we must have put the pan back on the stove. It was an electric stove, so they didn't know it was on, allegedly. 
and all the grease that was in the pan flamed up while they were gone. And then when they were gone, that charred the cabinets above the stove, but that's all it did. It didn't even like cause a huge fire, but it was enough for it to cause smoke damage throughout the house. It all it did is just charge the cabinets and it went out by itself because all the windows were closed in the house. So it didn't even cause much more damage than just that. They were hoping for a big fire. Lo and behold, they didn't get a big fire. They got a small little fire. But the fire department who smashed every window, you know, and put tons of water into the house, they did a good job putting out the little smoldering fire that was there um, with a lot of water. So mm -hmm. either way, um, the insurance company comes in, they do the investigation. Like I said earlier, they asked whose stove was it? I said it was the tenant buyers and the tenant buyer said they were cooking bacon and put the pan back on the stove. Lo and behold, guys, that does not go against our insurance. That goes against the renter's insurance policy. It does not go as a strike against us. And we got a thousand dollar deductible back even. It took some time though. It did take time. But also too, why we say, make sure you have the proper insurance. We had full replacement insurance. So no, everything got put back together brand new. And we also had rental reimbursement, which means if an event like this happens, the insurance company also pays our rent while the house is vacant. That happened the end of July. I think it was like July 30th. Mm -hmm. I was in the car business. It was like almost the last day of the month. And um, you don't ever become late to work that day. And I was late all day. Um, but it was also too, we didn't, that was 2019 guys that didn't get a, turned around with code enforcement and everything like that until March the next year. And unfortunately, March the next year, 2020, if any of you remember, that's when COVID happened. So the town shuts down. They can't even do their walkthrough inspection on it. So the insurance company says, hey, we want to stop paying you your monthly rent. I said, well, I don't want you to do it either, but you got to, because I can't even have the town inspect it yet because COVID happened and now everybody's closed. So until then, um, you know where to send the check to every month. And they just kept doing it. Then as we are able to start showing the property, because we show all of our properties virtually by sending the tenant buyer to the house with a lockbox there after we get a copy of their license, it was illegal in New York State for realtors to show properties when COVID first started happening. So we couldn't show the property, but good thing for us, we are not realtors. And I didn't show the property. I sent my tenant buyer the lockbox and said, go help yourself, text me your driver's license before you go. And then when you get there, I'll give you the code, walk through, FaceTime. And then when you're done, lock up, get your application and skedaddle. And that's how we sold the house that entire way. So these are, once again, there's workarounds and stuff, but that's the true nitty gritty story of our tenant buyers. And they, they leave. Good news is our property gets completely redone. We charge more for rent. We charge a new price because obviously that went up. And then two years later, which was this spring, our tenant buyer did not buy. So we said, guess what happened in the last two years? Housing prices went up, rent went up, everything went up. So we're not going to throw you out, but we're going to redo your stuff at a new price and a new rent. He says, oh, shit, I probably should have bought it, huh? And I'm like, mm, you probably should have, but you didn't. No big deal. Just got to pay a little bit more now. But we're still going to give him a deal, and it still is a really good deal. It's a lot cheaper than we could sell it to him for on the market. And in the market, especially then when it was up in March, the thing would have probably sold for 30 grand over asking. Either way, he's happy, we're happy, and it's a beautiful house. And the one thing is, in that neighborhood, it's the only house that's been completely redone twice. 
twice <laughs> okay yeah and it's it was a little i would say like overwhelming with a fire but they walk you through everything so it is important like joe said to have the really great insurance and they kind of have the check marks all the way through for you and then like he said at the very end when they realized they could go after the other insurance we got the thousand dollar back so it was literally like right before christmas too I was like, yeah, nice little surprise it's like a little christmas gift Alrighty, John was asking without giving away our secret sauce, how do we find all of these deals? You guys are two of the best power couples out here. And thank you so much for that. We really enjoy what we do. We love sharing. It's not rocket. I was an English teacher. I used to tell Joe I'm terrible at numbers. Um, I never thought that this would be my career, but I'm in love with being able to help others find that. I, I call it location freedom right now, being able to live in Florida. Um, I'm looking for more time freedom and that will come, I know, but we're just so excited to, to be able to share all of these ways. Um, and it's, it's not secret, really. I mean, the biggest tip I can give you guys is to, to be able to offer to pay full price for houses and to tell the world that in whatever fashion you're going to do so. And that- I can see who jacks our ads because I'll <laughs> see the same thing. I'll be like, man, that looks like your ad, hon, only with their face on it. But you need to know how to talk to a seller. And I'm going to drop that plug right now. Um, we were able to give you guys the free, if you go to the website, creativefinanceplaybook.com, um, the straight line approach. Joe developed this super simple, no crazy roadmap. When you're talking to a person who has a house for sale, this is the straight line approach. This is how you can speak to them from start to finish and see if this is a possibility for them. So if you haven't grabbed that freebie, make sure you head over there after this today and grab that. Will you drop that down in the comments, honey? Yep. Um, but yeah, what we do is we really want to be able to reach the masses, right? So we do a lot of our marketing right on social media. I love Facebook. That is one of our favorite ways between Facebook Marketplace, having your own Facebook. So this is the one thing I will say, guys, if you're serious about doing business and you want to attract people, especially on social media, we live in the day and age where if you're talking to somebody, they're going to Google you. They're going to look you up, things like that. If you go to my Facebook page, you go to Jen's Facebook page, you're going to know that we buy and sell houses and then we're a real estate and then we're a married couple. You don't have to look very hard to find out who we are, what it is we do. And I will say, if you're going to plan on doing this and you want to do some marketing, especially if you're going to be reaching out to folks on social media, have a Facebook picture of yourself or of you and your family or your wife or whatever that looks like, but also to make it well known on there that this is what you do. I get, I don't know why, if it's just all spammers, but I get probably 15 friends requests per day on Facebook. And it's crazy. Half of these people, if I'm like, hey, I buy and sell houses and this is what I do, like this is another real estate investor. I know this person is, I know they're not a scammer, except that one, right? The folks who live in another country, I don't know what their plan is, but I'm not gonna have my Facebook page hacked. And I'm not saying they are, but I don't know. Um, I know Facebook, I'm sorry, real estate investors are usually too busy to do that crap. Um, so this is what I want you to make sure you have is a picture of yourself, what it is that you do. And then what Jen says, what is our angle? Our angle is that we can't pay full price. And you want to know how many people that stumps, like what does full price mean? It's like, well, what do you want for your house? I want $200,000 for it. Is it worth 200,000? Well, from the comps, yes, it is. Well, then I can pay 200,000 if we could work out the terms that are good for me too. So I'm not lying because for an example, the house that we just bought yesterday, we asked the guy, what do you want for your house? He said, I want 195, done. I did it with a thousand dollars down and I covered closing costs. Took over his $1,300 payment for 29 years, full price. 
I didn't even ask him for a dollar off. He says, I want to close in two weeks. Done. I want a thousand dollars before we close because I need the money for my U-Haul truck. Done. Easy button. Leave the old couch behind you don't want. It's mine. I literally just got a text too, probably because I've been sharing more on my personal page, which I've been neglecting to do. And a realtor friend back in New York just said, I had a, a deal fall through. The seller really needs to sell. Can you take a look at it? It might be something you and Joe would like. So again, if you just put it out there, people, they know they'll associate selling houses, buying houses with you. And um, you, know, you never know who has something waiting in the wings because you just put yourself out there a little bit. And that's, again, on Facebook, totally free marketing. And I know we talk about it a lot, but it changed our lives. It truly did being able to, to just share, you know, through, so what started through COVID because we couldn't leave the house and then realizing we reached the masses through these amazing little devices here. Uh, it, they, it can be life-changing for that. So absolutely. Um, and this is why putting out there what it is that you do. And then the next thing too, is putting out there that if you know anybody's looking to sell a house right now, and you send and it's off market or even on market and you send them my way and I buy it, I'll pay you a thousand bucks for a referral. Right. And I, I love giving somebody a thousand dollars, guys. It's the best thousand dollars you'll spend is having people working for you. And the only way they get paid is if you make a deal, but they're going to be looking for you and anybody that comes across their way and they're going to come across, I'm looking to sell my house. It's going to be coming on social media, guys. People are not going to be able to sell their house. There's going to be the conversations. So if you could hire ears, on the streets for you to know that if they bring you a lead that you buy, they get paid money on that. There you go. Right. So, and if you, and if they know that this is what you do and you talk about it, not obnoxious, because I want to be, I want to tell the world 10 times a day that I buy houses on my Facebook page, but I know that half of people unfollow me. Right. So I got to sprinkle on some of the other stuff too but I want it to be known. So I put in some funny random stuff there too, but I also let it know like, this is what we do constantly and consistently. So now anybody who does have somebody and I get the leads all the time too. So you're going to want to generate leads. Social media is one of our favorites by far because you can network. That's how I get to meet all of you. None of you live in my neighborhood, but yeah, here we all are in a meeting together. So technology is amazing guys. It's never been easier in the history of humans to communicate than it is right now. It's never been easier. So let's use that to our advantage and use these as tools and not just time wasters by scrolling social media, looking at all of the fun things, right? Oh my gosh. All right. Here's a good one. Joe Harper is asking, how are you hedging against insurance costs and real estate tax spikes in Florida when doing a sub two deal in year one of the mortgage? So great, great question. Um, for one, we always make sure that we get our own insurance on the policy on the property. So we have the insurance policy locked up and ahead of time when making the deal. Um, but number two, the biggest thing is when you're buying a sub two deal guys or seller finance, what you need to do is find out what the currently, what it's currently assessed for and what's being taxed at versus when you go buy it and then do they reassess it at a higher number? So for an example, if I buy a house from somebody who bought it 20 years ago and the house in Florida is worth a, say it's assessed for 150,000, but these folks want to sell it to me for 700,000, but they're willing to sell on seller financing. Well, I know when the town county sees that the assessment went from a 150 to a new price of $700,000, they're going to be a reassessment. My taxes are going to go up. So what I always recommend you do is you call the county and say, I'm going to be buying this property, this address. 
I see that it's assessed for this right now. If I were to buy it for X, because every county is a little bit different, if I were to buy it for this, when and how much am I looking at my taxes changing? When and how much? You need to find out what that new number is going to be and when it's going to hit because they might do a reassessment every few years. They might do it a little bit sooner. You don't know. And you don't know if they go by full value or not. So these are the things in every single area is different. So you wanna find out by case by case basis. So if I'm looking at a deal and I'm gonna keep it, I'm calling the I'm calling the county now. Now I know in the house that I'm looking at, the guy just bought it one year ago for 195. I'm gonna look for what's assessed for. And if it's assessed for 195, I also have to see if I'm losing any star exemptions, homestead exemptions, because it was a personal residency versus now it's going to be a rental. When the deed transfers over and it's going to be a rental property and not a primary residence anymore, does that trigger you losing that exemption, right? Because there's a lot of those that go into effect that you could lose, then all of a sudden see an increase in your pricing of your taxes too. Was the previous owner a veteran or a senior, or they were getting a big discount on their taxes? You need to find all that kind of stuff out. So when you might lose those exemptions, when you get your new taxes, guess what will happen is there's going to be a shortage in your escrow. Your payments are going to change significantly. Then all the cash flow you thought you were going to make, you ain't making no more. So call the county, tell them what it's assessed for. They're going to see it. And if you buy it for more, they're going to see it. So it's no use in hiding it from them. But ask them the questions to make sure you're covering all the basis of when do you guys reassess it and how much would it go for if I'm buying it for this? What am I looking for? Are there any exemptions I might lose if I buy this property? They might say, well, you're not going to get this and it's going to go to that. And it'll happen at this date. And then calculate it, make sure the numbers still work. As far as insurance goes, before you close on the property, get your insurance quote from your agent, what that's going to be, because you're going to cancel the existing mortgage policy anyways. Uh-oh, your microphone's off, honey. Sorry about that. Do we get the lawnmower? Um, they're asking about an insurance company that we recommend... Um, it depends on where you are and what state. Our insurance guy here, I'll have to take a look. There's a handful of them. We switch often, depending on what's going on. Um, PA, yes, I do have a Pennsylvania one. And I do have a, yeah, I have both of those. Let me look those up for you. Um, and then with that, you can answer this one while I'm doing that. If you know PITA is going to increase in year two by 900 a month, how do you pitch that to a tenant buyer? Or is that not a deal. I need to make sure that I got that much spread in there. So that's going to be a big, big challenge, but it depends on what the rest of the deal looks like. So inside of that $900, what am I cash flowing? And the reason why I bring that up, I'm working on a deal right now in Naples, Florida, got a property. It's $1.2 million. She owes 280 something on it. Her PITI is $2,000 a month, a million dollar property on Marco Island not Marco Island, I'm so sorry, Naples, Florida. I'm thinking of a different deal. Naples, Florida, on the water, $1.2 million property. Her PITI is $2,000 a month. It's stupid low. So in that circumstances, when you see that because she built it in 2001, if I buy it for $1.2 I'm looking at a significant increase in my property taxes, right? So if my property taxes are going to increase, which means my monthly payment's going to increase, if it does go up 900 bucks a month in that circumstances, my payment goes from 2000 to 2900. I need to make sure I'm able to rent that for much more than 2900, right? So I don't need to pitch it to my tenant buyer, 
but I might make sure my tenant buyer is paying five grand a month in that property. So when my new payment goes up to three grand a month, I still make my spread because there's going to be a change, right? And I know there's going to be a change. Now in that deal, the reason why is because her interest rate is super low. She just refinanced not too long ago and has a super low payment, super low taxes and really low assessment because she built it new in 2001 and she's the original owner. So I know all of those things are going to change with a new insurance policy and uh, definitely with the taxes. But so if there's an increase, you have to make sure that you have your spread built into it and ahead of time because to move your tenant buyer 900 bucks a month will be very hard. So you don't want to do this and not predict it coming. And if you are, I will say, if it's going to happen in year two and you're banking a lot of money in year one, and if year two, you're going to have a big increase and maybe your cash flow either goes to zero or goes in a negative for a short time. If I'm doing that, I'm going to work with a tenant buyer who I know is going to get me cashed out in a very short time, have a lot of money, don't need a lot of time. My end buyer, my tenant buyer is going to be somebody who is, and I normally don't want them to get cashed out right away. But in these circumstances, especially if I have a huge markup in my spread of the house, I'm just going to get my tenant buyer to cash me out very soon. Um, but typically, if it don't make dollars, it don't make sense. And if I'm not going to do it for negative cash flow, unless there's some other really amazing thing in the deal. But, you know, I kind of got into a discussion with people on Facebook just yesterday um, in a Burr group. And, you know, a lot of people say with your, you know, selling houses with um, rent to own, you know, you lose the biggest benefit of real estate and that's appreciation, which is partially true, but appreciation, what you think is going to be in the next two to three years is going to be not good. But cash flow comes in every month. Every single month, the cash flow is there. So while I do look at appreciation and I do believe that is important, more importantly too, is I need to pay the bills now every month. And I want to make a lot of money now, not just down the road. Um, because because it can evaporate quickly. And I wonder if we could do a case study on that because with if you owned a rental and you had to repair the, the roof or you had some major other like big appliances go, hot water tanks, yada, yada, yada. You add all that up, I wonder, you know, in the two, three years, what that would look like, you know? Absolutely. Well, you don't get 15, 20 grand up front. No. So instantly, I like our head start and you don't, anything oh, they yeah. pay above their rent, they, we get added to there. So we get cash flow better too. So it'd be hard to really. Oh, I'm not going back. I'm just asking. Okay. <laughs> Alex is asking, may I do creative finance outside of the U.S., non-U.S. resident? You can. In Canada, they do it. calls a seller take back. Vendor take back. Take back. Seller carry. I don't know about other countries. I've heard of folks in Europe doing the same. I don't know the particulars of it. I know it can be done. Do I know how to do it? No, I don't. Do lawyers figure it out? If you explain it in the basics, I'm sure there are some who are investor friendly who could walk you through it. But I know because I've chatted with Ron Legrand and there are people obviously in other countries who are buying real estate in America using this creative finance because you don't need credit. You don't need any of these things. Um, but actually effectively doing it outside the US. I know Canada, you can. And I know Europe. I just don't know the particulars around Europe. Great question. Yeah. John was asking with prices dropping, as long as you cash flow on the deal, how much more are you guys willing to pay than appraisal value? So appraisal value to me is kind of BS uh, because 
when they got their appraisal, how soon was it? Like, I've got one, and the only reason I'm bringing it up is because I have somebody who's like, I have my house appraised in February. I'm like, well, congratulations. That's worth paper right now, <laughs> right? Um, so that's not as important to me, but you know what, what I look at is if I'm going to pay a good dollar for the property, regardless if it is appraised value or whatever, because if you put 10 appraisers to give you a value of one house, you're going to have 10 different values. So it's just a rough number, right? But either way, if we're close to that appraised value, however that's determined, I will buy that that house. And if I'm worried about the prices pull back, that's not our issue for me, as long as a few factors happen. One, I'm into the deal with little to no cash, usually just buying with cover and closing costs. Two, my monthly PITI is and will continue to be low enough to where I could cash flow very well on that property. And usually because they bought it at a lower price at a lower rate, I'm getting it so cheap of a payment that I will be able to have that ability versus buying high, high rates. And then the last bit of it, if I'm going to pay top dollar for it, I better get a long-term. I don't want to get stuck in an obligation where I have to get somebody cashed out in like two to three years. I want 10 years, especially the way the market is turning right now. Yeah. Um, can you explain what assignment fee means? Some people might be newer to investing, so they don't quite understand if we're assigning a creative deal, what does the assignment fee mean exactly when we have that? So an assignment fee is basically a finder's fee, right? So Joe and Jen find a seller and it's a deal that we're thinking about, do we keep it or do we not? And we're not going to, but it's a heck of a deal. Well, now I could show that deal off to some of my investor friends, right? And for the, they're not buying the house from me. They're buying the agreement that I already have in place with the seller. And for the agreement that basically the contract is what they're buying, the right to buy that deal at that terms and prices, they're going to give me a finder's fee for that deal, which is called an assignment fee. So rather that's a cash deal, right? Joe and Jen lock up a deal for 150000 And one of my buyers says, Joe, I'll buy that for one seventy-five. They're going to give me a $25,000 finder's fee and buy the property at $150,000. they have got into it $175,000 plus closing costs. They put in another $50,000 and they could sell it for $350,000 or whatever the number is, right? So they're going to make a lot of money. We're going to make money on the deal too, but maybe we don't do the full transaction. So they just, we are in and out of the deal. We're wholesaling at that deal. So um, on creative finance deals, same thing goes. We talk to a seller who wants us to sell with seller financing. And then if we are not going to keep it, we tell that seller that we're not going to close on it, but we're going to find somebody who wants to. I'm going to introduce you if everything works well. There you go. And they're going to pay us a finder's fee. So there's no commissions or anything to you. They're good with that. We bring in a buyer who's then qualified and screened through us. The seller likes it. They go to closing. At closing, they give us our finder's fee for that. And that can range per deal. And that's going to be based on the value of the deal. And the thing I love about creative finance is when you're paying cash, the value of the deal is based on the numbers, right? I got it for this discount. But the great thing about creative finance is the value of the deal is not just based on the price. Because if I have a $300,000 home and, I'm, and I buy it for $300,000, that doesn't seem like a great deal. But if the seller gives me a $500 payment per month, on a 0% mortgage for 20 years with no money down, it's a really good deal. I know I'll get a good assignment fee for that deal. Great question.
Awesome. Um, what if, Adam's asking, the house you sell via lease option needs foundation repair and the bank can't finance it. Tenant buyer should have fixed it already, right? Great question. So it depends. I have one like this. So with us buying houses like this, it's actually a benefit because if it does have a foundation issue, banks won't finance it. I have one in New York right now, has a crack, this crack's been in the foundation forever. It's not going anywhere. Obviously, I think banks would have an issue with it. So you could do a number of things. I can sell that with seller financing to an end buyer, right? I could sell the house and I could also be the bank if I own it outright. I could turn that property into just a straight rental. But if I'm going to sell it to a tenant buyer, I've got two options. I could sell it to them on a work for equity program to let them know that they're going to have to do this foundation repairs as part of the deal. It's going to be very well outlined and what they have to do in the time frame of it in order to execute this plan to all go through fruition. Now, if that's what they're walking into and they want to do that, great. If they want something that's a little bit more turnkey and they want us to do it for them, then obviously we have to take that into consideration. But we do have a work for equity program where it's a handyman special, rent to own, do the work yourself and save thousands. So maybe I buy a property on terms that's a little scabby because we do get them. We'll just clean them out and offer it for a rent to own. And instead of me going and put $20,000 worth of work into a property, because I can't tell you how many times we go put carpet in a house and paint in a house and somebody tears out the carpet and puts in new flooring and changes the color of the paint and just wastes $10,000. So we offer rent to own, do the work yourself. So somebody else can put in the flooring the, the first time they want and the paint color that they want. And we offer them a discount for doing that. Yeah, all right. I think the last question here is from Chase. Do you escrow your insurance and taxes on each property? And I would say what we basically do is um, we always have the insurance on our own. So I pay that separately. If the tax taxes are escrowed, I keep it in there, whatever the seller had set up. Um, some are not. And so I just get those through the town. So it makes for a little more legwork paperwork, but, uh, I would say the majority of those on a wrap mortgage are escrowed. It's just a couple of the rural ones for some reason we're not, I don't know why. And then if you buy it with seller financing, you're dealing with the seller being the bank directly. Yeah. So there will be an escrow. So you will have to make sure insurance is paid separately, tax are paid separately, and then their payment is paid separately. And then, you know, figure out what those three are divided by your 12, figure out what your PITI is, right? And then make sure you uh, get a whole lot more in that. Cool. Great question. That was a lot of fun today. Yeah. So once again, guys, next week, this will be up on YouTube. Thank you so much for coming. Next week, how to build a million dollar, million dollar portfolio in one year without using banks, without using credit. We're going to go over some ways to get started with absolutely zero money and then how to scale from there. So if you want to start with literally like a hundred bucks, you can do that. And if you have more money, you can do that. And I know some of you look at me like, yeah, how am I going to do this? Guys, we did it. You can do it. We've had a lot of students who've done it. And we're going to share with you some of these secrets that we've had great success with us, ourselves and our students too, um, because listening to some of their success is some of the most fulfilling thing that we do um, is watching our students just kick ass. 
So we're going to be in an office full-time coming up very soon. So you might see some of these from the office. So stay tuned. We got a lot of cool stuff coming soon, guys. So thank you so much for coming. And uh, we'll see you all we'll next Grab time. that freebie, that straight line approach um, while it's up there. And if you have any questions at any time, shoot us a message. We are um, super excited. Our office is uh, right in the Tampa area, Florida. So we moved from upstate New York. We're down in Florida now and absolutely love it here. It started off as just being down here for one month, turned into basically all year now. We're not going to say we just had our first Halloween in Florida. We were sweating, which was crazy. And then the people down here, they don't play or they do play actually, I guess, like back up north, you had to go all the way to the door and like trick or treat and everyone's inside down here. It was like straight up block party, like music blaring. Like we thought we were in a club. It was, it was the fun. The kids were thousands and thousands of people guys, for some reason up North people, we do not. Cause it's cold. Like these Florida people do, uh, because at eight o'clock at night, it's 80. Everybody is out. It's like a huge party. Like if I showed you the video of my phone, it, you thought we were at like a party with like thousands of people and it was just streets of this. So uh, bravo to Florida for Halloweening so hard because they yeah, do. We love it here. Seriously. Outfits, <laughs> everybody, kids, it was just really cool. Our kids, I think, were shocked. Yeah. Um, it was like their first time seeing anything like that ever before. So really, really cool. Uh, but now November 1st, guys, our theme is no money down November. So our company goal personally is going to see how many deals, Jen came up with this, I love it, how many deals we're going to do this month with no money down. And that's where our goal is. So, and it can't be a thousand dollars down. The hundred dollar deposit counts for no money down, but it can't be more than that hundred dollar deposit. So we give somebody a thousand dollars down, like we already did for the guy, but that was last month, technically it was yesterday, but going on this month, no money down November is gonna be our goal. So we're gonna share with you this month, how that's coming along and how many of these deals that we do for no money down. So stay tuned for that too. Yeah, all gonna right. Be Thanks for coming today, guys. We will see you next week and have a great evening. Hey, guys.